Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project Podcast. I'm the Jude 3 Project founder and president, Lisa Fields. Um, Before we start, I have a special request. Um, The Jude 3 Project is growing um, and God is doing exceedingly and abundantly above all (laughs) that we could have asked for. Um, or even thought, um, I've never, I never thought God would be doing this much this soon. And I'm thankful and grateful, um, because it's his grace. Um, but we need your help to expand and grow, um, by your financial contributions and your prayers. We thank you for all those who pray. We thank you for all the encouraging emails and tweets and Facebook messages telling us how the Jew three project is helping you, helping your church helping you to understand and help helping you to be able to defend your faith. Um, and those are great testimonies because that gets at the mission and the purpose to helping people know what they believe and why they believe it and serving the African-American community in the area of apologetics. I could not be more excited and more happy. And I'm expecting God to do even more great things through the G3 project. Um, we're asking if you could help us financially by going to www.g3project.com and hitting the donate tab at the top or clicking the donate banner. Um, we would be, we would greatly appreciate all your help. Anything you could do would be helpful. Now it's time for another great podcast episode. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today... I'm very excited because I'm joined by one of my favorite preachers, the Dr. Howard John Wesley. Welcome, Dr. Wesley. Thank you, Lisa. It's a great opportunity to be with you today. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Thank you for accepting, and um, congratulations again on your NAACP Chairman Award. Oh, great honor, but I definitely can't claim it for myself. I shared with the members of the Alpha Street Baptist Church who kind of partner with me every day for uh, making certain the gospel of Jesus Christ is not limited to the walls of our church, but touches people in a transformative way. So grateful to be able to be part of a great church. Uh, so we received that award together. Awesome. Awesome. So for those who don't know uh, who you are, tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Synoptic <laughs> uh, <laughs> form. I have the great honor of serving as the, uh, the senior pastor of the Alpha Street Baptist Church here in Alexandria, Virginia. I've uh, been here for about 10 years. Prior to that, uh, the Lord uh, groomed me and grew me at St. John's Congregational Church in Springfield, Massachusetts, where I pastored for 10 years, uh, coming out of seminary at Boston University School of Theology. Uh, went on to earn my doctorate in preaching um, at the Associated Chicago Theological Schools, graduating from the Northern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary up there in Lombard, Illinois. Um, a proud native of the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Um, and a, a fourth-generation preacher uh, within my family. So I kind of believe that all that groomed and pointed me to where I am now, and I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity to stand here and practice preaching um, in the midst of God's people here in Alexandria. That's that's great. That's great. Um, I attended uh, Alfred Street during my seminary time at um, Liberty University, so I had that was a nice balance for me to get out of 
<laughs> yeah, get out of listen. Back over here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're gonna go ahead and dive into these questions. Um. The, we want to talk about apologetics and the black church. Um. Today. Um. Why do you think it's important for black pastors to equip their churches in the area of apologetics? Well, you know, Lisa, it's, it's interesting. For the, I think historically. Black churches have always been engaged in the work of apologetics just in a very different way. We were not, as black people inherently, we have more of a sense of faith and belief. It's almost uncommon to hear of an atheist or an agnostic African American. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who've been oppressed and have come out of slavery and deal with racism and injustices, by definition, tend to have more of a defining faith in the Lord. Uh, what I think we've done most in the black church is prepare people to live out that faith in the world, mm-hmm. but now with the uh, exposure to more atheistic, agnostic, and interfaith exposure, I think it's most important that, uh, not necessarily under the umbrella of apologetics, but making certain that we are still uh, proponents and proclaimers of sound doctrine within our, uh, our congregations so that people understand what they believe and are prepared to give an answer for it, so that your congregation knows something about about the canonization of Scripture, so that they are not blindsided and tackled by someone who wants to share with them uh, questions around the authority of Scripture. Let that we teach that in our sermons, that we teach that in our Bible studies, so that people have a real rooting in their faith to be able to stand and proclaim that they are Christian and why. Not to say that they're anti-Muslim or anti-Jew or anti-Baha'i, but let's make certain we are pro-Christian and understand what that means and all the complexities of Christianity. So I think we have to get away from the dumbing down of the gospel and trying to uh, really just craft sermons and teaching moments that lead to shouts, but rather sermon moments that lead to people whipping out their phones and Googling and whipping out their notebooks and taking notes and being diligent about studying issues to be prepared to explain what they believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love that um, you all do at Alpha Street very well is your Bible studies are very in-depth. Um, so you go through the canonization of Scripture. You go through the different doctrines. I think you had a series of doctrines that divide. So it's not, you know, just basic principles. You're actually equipping people um, by going through scripture and um, giving the background and all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's important, you know, and people desire that rather than I I don't see Bible study as an opportunity to say, okay, let's go to verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four. Let's do something a little bit bigger and broader. Let's deal with the real issues that people are facing in the world, the real questions that come up on your job and dealing with your cousin and dealing with unbelievers so that you're prepared for that and, you know, and acknowledge the great diversity of doctrine and thought and division that makes us who we are as Christians, that there's no homogeneity or monolithic thought or theology. Rather than run from that, let's jump into it. Let's get into the fact that we are diverse within our body of faith, from left-wing to right-wing, from conservative to liberal, from, you know, those who are utmost biblicists to those who believe that God also speaks outside of Scripture. And I think only when you embrace the questions do you gain respect from those who ask them. I think one of the worst things in the world to be as a Christian is one whose mind is closed to the possibility and the reality of other thoughts, or the fact that you demonize someone who doesn't think the same way you do. 
So one of the slogans we have in our church that kind of defines my teaching and my preaching is that you hear me say all the time, my job is not to make you think what I think. My job is just to make sure you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you say that all the time, especially, and I know you did a series um, that I found helpful, um, a, po- a, a sermon on apologetics um, for Kaya, which is um, your um, young adult um, service you have every first Wednesday at Alfred Street. Right. Was that something that um, you saw a need within, like, for the young adult culture where they come to you with questions? Yeah, I'm going to tell you how, how it came about real quickly, Lisa. I asked the members of Kaya, those who come to our worship service and the young adult, um, send me some questions that you are wrestling with, some real things. Because every now and then we have an opportunity where I don't prepare a message, but we allow people to come to the microphone and just ask, you know, what real questions they have. They'll say things like, Pastor, I, my cousin is Jehovah Witness, and what makes them different than... Uh, Orthodox Christians, you know, so the people always have these questions, but never have an opportunity to ask them. Think about it: when you go to church, you hear the sermon, you hear the song, but you don't get to raise your hand and go, "Wait, wait a minute, I have a question." <laughs> you know, and so that's the way it started. Like, if you have a question, send it in. And people were emailing me questions, and I realized the bulk of them had an apologetic feel to them. These are young people without any formal definition or training of apologetics want to understand what they believe and want to be able to give an answer to their friends. I love engaging with Christians who want to engage with others who think differently and want to be able to stand their ground, want to be able to know what they believe, want to be able to have an answer. And so, you know, they emailed those questions in, and I realized, okay, we need to do some some work here uh, with these young people, uh, these young adults, kind of like myself, and that's where it really was birthed out of, and it was one of our best sessions. Yeah, it was it was very, very good. What are the biggest apologetics issues that you're seeing in culture, and how do you address these issues? Um, you know what? I don't think that they're new. I think that they kind of recycle. So let's, uh, without having prepared, I'm going to tell you one would definitely be the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great diversity of thought within that in the body of Christ, and especially in a multicultural world in which we live, where you're going to be exposed to a Muslim who is devout and a good man. You're going to be exposed to a woman who is Buddhist, and she lives her life at the same with the same moral direction and compass that you do. And the question that a lot of young people, um, having been exposed to that more, is how do we say that there's only salvation in the name of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And how do we wrestle with that? So I think definitely still the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus Christ, definitely the authority of the Bible. Um, and, the, you know, there are different traditions. If, even if you look at, like, the Wesley Quadrilateral, you know, which places four things as the sources of God's revelation, particularly within the conservative movement and Baptist churches, we tend to put Scripture above all others. But now we live in a world where uh, there are people who believe that God has spoken to them through uh, through natural experiences, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it calls into question some things we see in Scripture, particularly like the homosexual debate. Um, and so the question then becomes, is, is the Bible the final and only authority uh, for the revelation of God's will? And dealing with that within this generation. Why do we still hold Scripture as sacred? Um, and what do we believe in that? So being able to be a proponent of that. Um, I think finally I would probably put up there um, the need and necessity of the body of Christ in the local church. Uh, there's so many people who've had bad church experiences uh, that they walk around with the mindset that church is no longer necessary or that it's just a human institution that is flawed and failed and not necessary for their walk in the Lord. And so I'm a big proponent 
of church being done correctly and why you as a believer need to belong to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think those are all excellent um, um, issues because the, I'm, I'm that you bring up because I see that all the time talking to different people. Um, and I think one of the challenges you bring up, too, is theodicy a lot in your um, yes. teaching, um, which I think is is one of the things that I'm grateful for um, you even tackling that the way you did, because that was one of the major challenges for me in seminary, um, wrestling with the problem of evil. And so the level of sensitivity and care, you have to handle that topic because, you know, when when people are hurting, the philosophical answer, it, it might make sense in your head. But what's going on when you have a broken heart, it can be quite challenging to reconcile that with the philosophical um, answers um, sometimes that apologetics lends to. So um, I I learned a lot from just how you dealt with that, with um, your own personal experience and um, the theological um, explanation, but just kind of marrying the two. So you're not disconnected um, from the people as far as struggling and suffering and dealing with with issues yeah none of us will escape this life without wrestling with the question of unjustified evil in the world and in our lives tragedy sickness and trying to balance that with the traditional orthodox portrait and picture of an omniscient a omnipresent a omnipotent loving god all of us will have to deal with that and i think one of the best things a church can do, a preacher can do, a theologian can do, is equip the real saints of God to deal with that, because that is the make-or-break issue, least, as you know, as you experience, as all of us do. That, that's the issue that will push more people outside of faith in God. That's why in the book of Job it is seen as this struggle between divine will and Satan, because the satanic presence simply says, I will get him to curse you. I will get him to leave you if you allow me to take him through these experiences. And the wager of God is that, no, there are those who can go through that struggle without an answer and still hold on to their faith. Mm-hmm. The question is how to prepare people to do that. So for me, it's about building a foundation, showing how this begins with your understanding of providence versus free will, how much of your life is providentially planned and how much is a direct result of choice, how this ties into your understanding of the omniscience and the omnipotence of God, um, that that one or the other can't, you, you can't hold the traditional God knows everything that's going to happen and God can do everything and at the same time give an answer for unjustified evil in the world. You've got to be able to, you know, put those together. So we deal with the philosophical and theological undergirdings of theodicy, and I think that ultimately prepares people to deal with it better. You know, I as a pastor have difficulty ministering to a family whose child died of cancer and saying, that was the Lord's will, and God knows what's best, and that's just what God, and you just have to suffer the will of God. That paints this point. For me, that's unpalatable. For me, that's difficult to put all evil and tragedy at the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I imagine as as you deal with it all the time as a pastor, um, I just deal with it, you know, occasionally talking to people, but people are coming to you for answers all the time and I'm sure you have you have to really navigate through that with um care so my hat's off to all pastors (laughs) because you're you're opening up a core theological belief that most people have held 
since the time they were one or mm-hmm. two, raised in the household of faith. And yet when these tragedies come, they're ill-prepared. And so to really be able to teach on it, we have to create a safe space where we can dive into an issue that's going to challenge people's understanding about God, Scripture, their own life, and yet trust and believe that we're not going to break them by having these discussions. You know, kind of like you were speaking, you and I were speaking earlier, what I've tried to do in our church is create almost a seminary environment <laughs> where we can deal with the reality of the Bible and deep theological and philosophical issues and edify our mind but not break our faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's helpful um, for people because we need that in this day, um, especially um, in, in, in your area, in the DMV. <laughs> right, yeah. Um for for people who are listening that want to know some resources, um, what books would you recommend? Wow, um, that, that that that's going to be a long answer, but I try to, to summarize. <laughs> One of the things we we do with all of our ministers is we put them into um, a book called Introducing Christian Doctrine uh, by Erickson. Is the last name? I forget the first name. I think his name is Millard Eckerson. Mm-hmm. Um, just a good. It is more conservative and biblically authoritative, but it's going to go through um, some of the real doctrines of Christianity. I think it's important for people uh, who are going to minister to have a, a solid foundation in uh, Christian doctrine. So introducing uh, Christian doctrine um, is, is a great one that I recommend uh, to people. Um, also, there's a book called uh, The Christian Faith by, um, by Michael Horton. Uh, that deals with, it's, it's almost the same dealing with Christian theology from a systematic viewpoint. Um, so I definitely recommend that uh, for people. Um, I'm a big cre- uh, fan of the Lee Strobel works, you know, the case for faith, the case for Christ, the case for creator, the case for God. Um, I like his journalistic approach uh, to answering some of the questions. I think sometimes it gets a little bit deeper than you can use with normal people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a good one. Um, I love the works on the process of canonization, uh, particularly um, uh, a book by a last guy by last name Barton called "How the Bible Came to Be." Um, I think that that's a good thing for uh, most um, most church folk to just understand the process of canonization for Scripture. Because at the end of the day, Lisa, that's really where our biggest battles come. Because you can't you can't debate or discuss something with someone. And then say what the Bible says, and then say, "Well, I don't, I don't take what Scripture says as being authoritative." Mm-hmm. If you and I can't agree that one plus one is two, then we can never have discussion about calculus. Mm-hmm. And so, for most people, you really need to understand because if, if you're not prepared on the process of how the Bible was came to be and how books books were voted on, the criteria that was used for the four Gospels that made Peter's Gospel and Thomas' Gospels be excluded, you're going to be blindsided by someone who has researched that and will say, well, how come the Gospel of Peter's not in there? Why do you read that? Why don't you read that? So really that process of canonization, and uh, that book by Barton is one that I recommend as well. Awesome. What would be the last words you want to leave with our listeners? Um, You know what? I'm going to plagiarize uh, from the Apostle Paul, study and serve yourself approved unto God, that, that that our faith is not simply... Um, about the good feeling of worship and praising God, which are really critical components of discipleship, but it's about that study. And I would pray that uh, through your work and through uh, the exposure that you're granting to other preachers and pastors and those who are listening, that we become uh, those who are engaged in the study of Christianity, reading um, and pressing and pushing our preachers and proclaimers to go beyond crafting sermons that just get 
to the early Sunday morning uh, with Jesus getting up from the cross and actually teaching people what they need to live in their faith in the real world. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wesley. It's been a joy. Thank you, Lisa. And also, I don't know where we're going to air this, but allow me to uh, wish everyone a very sacred and reverential journey through Lent um, and a very happy Resurrection Sunday when we proclaim the glorious victory of our Savior over death, sin, and the grave. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it